The Bible makes it clear that we've inherited something, you know, and it's not just our facial features or our hair color or things that connect us to our heritage, our parents, our grandparents, etc. But the Bible tells us, in fact, that we've inherited sin. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Welcome back to Candid Conversations. On today's episode, I have the great privilege of sharing an insightful conversation I had with my New Testament professor from Reformed Theological Seminary, Dr. Bruce Lowe. It's a conversation about sin— Although I know Dr. Lowe from Atlanta, he is an Australian. I think you may be picking up on a theme of this podcast. The Aussies have a lot of good things to offer. Today, Dr. Lowe and I took a deeper dive into the topic of sin and discussed several aspects of sin, including what is sin and who defines it? Why is the topic of sin taboo in the church of all places? How do I address the problem of sin in my life, both spontaneous sins and habitual sins? How do isolation and community relate to sin? And what is the danger of avoiding talking about sin? To get started, I asked Dr. Lowe to share a definition of sin, taking into account the different ways we may experience it. There's a lot of different ways in which people can think of sin, isn't there? I mean, in one way, people can try and be self-protective in many ways. They can try to think of um, sin as being something that's just external, kind of what they do in their actions. And that can be very destructive. Um, And then they can be, in a sense, too introspective, um, so worried about every little thing that they do that becomes this kind of massive internal thing. So, I mean, it seems to me that the Bible's pretty clear that if we even go back right to the beginning in the first sin, we see that sin is a rebellion against what God has said in the garden. But then we also see that it's a rebellion against God himself. Um, and we also see in that that there's something destructive about sin in that it it's really taking the order that God has made to be and messing with that order. For me, that's a really kind of neat uh, way to look at sin, to think of it not simply as, as an external thing, but to see it as as really a relational thing, both our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship in the world that God has made and put us in. I mean, the Bible makes it clear that we've inherited something, you know, and it's not just our facial features or our hair color or things that connect us to our heritage, our parents, our grandparents, etc. But the Bible tells us, in fact, that we've inherited sin. And when we become a Christian, that situation is altered, which we'll get to, um, though not in- inherently altered, but altered to some extent, which we'll get to. But the fact of the matter is that there is something wrong. There's something broken inside us. And that's what the Bible describes as sin. In fact, in, in Romans, Paul talks about sin as if it's kind of a creature. You know, he says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sin. So he's kind of like this, this creature from the deep has risen up and somehow invaded things and, and caused this kind of like an old style horror movie has entered into us and entered into the world. And that's the picture, you know, sin with a capital S. It's not just about doing stuff. It's actually this thing that kind of invades us. 
Before we went deeper into the conversation, I asked Bruce why we're hearing less and less about sin in the church if the central theme of Christianity is that we are sinful people in need of a sinless Savior, then why aren't we hearing more about sin? In some ways, there's a reaction to an approach to sin that has been unrelational. So people feel very cut off from God. Um, they're coming to church to be connected to God, and they're being cut off by simply kind of given a moralism. And they don't really know what to do with it. They don't know how to deal with their sin. And so they're being shown what's wrong. And they're, they're in a sense, in this cycle of, of simply their life being becoming something about morals, about doing this and not doing that. Now, so I think there's a, kind of been a reaction against that, actually. I think that there has been a push towards noticing more what the Bible has to say about the fatherhood of God, noticing more about our identity as Christians, and so on a positive angle, I think you could say that there are some positive things about that, and, and that would make people who felt that burden, as it were, uh, that would give them a motivation to want to go to those churches and those places where there is more of a reflection about God's grace and about God being a father. Now, this, of course, creates a problem, though, doesn't it? Because if, if it's almost like if a preacher understands what people want to hear and what they don't want to hear, uh, you know, I've heard it said sometimes that you know, the moment somebody mentions sin or something bad, then it sort of recalls those memories for people where they don't want to deal with it. And so in a way, it can kind of gravitate things in the opposite direction. So it's an interesting question, Jonathan. I think on the one hand, there is a push and a move away from a kind of um, dry moralism that has traditionally existed in the church more towards the fatherhood of God and a relationality, which I think is excellent uh, and thoroughly biblical. But the problem is that it's kind of then swung in the other direction. And I think, I think if I could say this, the challenge is there really there then for preachers, actually, to not be extremists, to not simply to go to what what people want to hear, whether it's those people who are moralists who want to keep hearing that message that they grew up with, or whether it's the people on the other side who don't want to be kind of drawn back at all, who have a sort of raw nerve, as it were. You know, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time weighing out my own motivations uh, and really trying to spend time first trying to understand what the Bible is saying what the author's original intention is, um, and then what the Spirit is ministering to me. I have to struggle with um, not just wanting to say what I want to say and also not trying to say what I know the congregation wants to hear me say, but rather a message that is rooted in the Word of God and what its intention is and then allowing the Spirit to do His work. On top of teaching, a portion of my time is spent counseling. Um, and in my role with young adults, I get a lot of questions about sin and habitual sin. And you can see the weight of that sin or the habitual sin beginning to take its toll to, to weigh down on them in their relationships uh, outside and their relationships with God as well. All of us have some sin that we're struggling with and we know that it's causing that breakdown in relationship with God and with the people that are around us. But how do we effectively address sin in our lives? I think that uh, we have to be very aware that uh, 
there is a difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. So someone becomes a Christian and they're not just forgiven, but there's a sense of transformation that takes place. The Holy Spirit comes into that person and that person is born again. And, you know, if someone is born again, when we are born, that's a huge moment where there is a change, you know, from being in the womb to being out in the world, etc. And so I don't think we, we need to be very careful not to minimize or, or, or kind of step back from that. Now, I would, I would love to just say a couple of things about a passage of Scripture that I think opens up a lot of avenues for us to discuss some things further, but really, you know, in terms of content in answering this question. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, So I tell you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what's really interesting is that he points out that the the, the flesh desires things. There actually, there's still this part of us that wants to, desires to do what's wrong. But it's saying that there's actually a solution. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In fact, the language there that's actually used in the original language is, you will in absolutely no way gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's a massively positive statement made there. And I I really want to help listeners kind of appreciate this, that when we're caught in habitual sin, there is a real feeling of of despair, a, a feeling that, you know, I can't possibly get out of this ever. This is who I am. This is my sense of identity. And really, this is what the Bible does at this point, uh, both in this passage and also in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a statement there about how we are meant to be viewing ourselves. Do we do the sort of, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, my name is Bruce and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my name is Bruce and I'm a sinner. That we're identifying ourselves as so deeply um, caught up in and uh, overrun by this creature of the deep that we're we're unable to go anywhere with it. Paul's picture is actually very different in Romans chapter 6 and Galatians 5. His picture is one of identity, of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the sanctification process, right? So we have been justified under Christ through his death, and we now identify with him. And that's kind of what Paul's saying in chapter 6, right? We died with him. We're raised with him. The New Testament, Paul's writings is so much about our identity and who we are. And so I think you're right. You're hitting on that that aspect of, I mean, if we, whatever it is that we're facing or struggling with, it has so much to do with, think if we think about how we view ourselves when the temptation is presented, how we identify ourselves in that moment exactly. is is so important. That's right. And that's why I think, going back to our earlier discussion, you know, people have struggled and people have reacted. And in some ways, it's a good reaction when they've reacted against um, teaching that might have identified them as this is who you are. You are stuck. You are caught up. There's no hope for you in this life. The Bible presents us with a very different picture. It presents us with a picture of hopefulness. Now, here's where I want to kind of roll the grenade down the aisle a little bit here. And I want to say that I think one of the keys to understanding Romans 6 and also Galatians 5 is corporate versus singular, Mm. Uh, group versus individual. Because so often when we think about identity, we're thinking about my identity as a person, all on my own, all on my isolated self. And herein is where the huge problem is created, because in both those passages, the language is the language of the plural. The language is the language of you as a group. Now, 
hang with me a little bit here. I wonder. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, to use a southernism, uh, you all walk in the spirit and you all will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what he's actually saying is one of the key questions that we often have is, great, you know, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Um, do I wake up in the morning? Do I seek to have a sort of more spiritual experience with the Lord? Will that direct me to be walking in the Spirit more? But if we take it more corporate, I think it, everything kind of unravels in a neat way and in a way that powerfully draws us together with other individuals. It seems to me that what Paul's saying in Galatians 5 is that as we walk together in the Spirit, in other words, as the Spirit is being manifest to us in each other, as we hear from one another about what the Lord's doing in our life, as we speak back into each other's life, these kinds of things, as we are willing to help one another and encourage one another where we've been, where we've fallen and also correct one another where we've fallen down. As all of this is happening as a dynamic in the body, then that's the moment when we are corporately walking in the spirit. And that's the promise that we all will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We've taught people, especially in the West, to be very individualistic. And so often you'll hear when sermons are applied, um, it all of a sudden kind of zeroes in on you as an individual. Here's what you are meant to do. You are meant to go away and do this. You're meant to go away and do that. Here's what you can be working on all alone. Now, of course, our relationship with the Lord is a relationship that involves us, and, and He's with us always, and we can speak to Him. So, of course, there's the individual. But even there, we're not alone, are we? We're with the Lord Himself. So it's always bigger than us. But I think that we don't do a good job at all. I think that we have done a great job of isolating Christians and making them feel like they are all alone and that sin is a battle that they need to deal with alone. And that, I think, is one of the enemy's uh, great traps that, it, that we're falling into. I want to make sure we're, people are tracking with us. And, and um, I know we talked a little bit about this, and I don't want to lose where we are now, but why is God so opposed to sin? And I, I know that can sound a bit sort of elementary, but I think it's an important aspect of, of this whole conversation. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to the garden, we realize that, you know, the moment that the man and woman ate of the fruit, they realized they were naked. They separated themselves from each other by covering up, and then they separated themselves from God. So there was a complete relational breakdown at that moment, which reinforces the thing that we were saying before, that the nature of sin is that it's relationally destructive. And look, can I just say, we're living in an era so much, aren't we, where people are appreciating more the nature of relationships. They don't want to be isolated anymore from each other. And so this whole topic is not kind of this this rugged kind of rough and 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 um, sanitized subject we're talking about we're talking about something that's going to be drawing us back into relationship with each other there is so much power in the realization that we were never meant to deal with sin on our own shame over our sin can lead to isolation, a place that God never intended us to be. There is power in seeking help from the community uh, when we are caught in sin. Dr. Lowe explains how from Galatians chapter 6. If you move into Galatians 6, you know, the context is, is just perfectly laid out because he says, what happens if someone is caught in sin? You know, so it's, it's that kind of like, ideally, we as a community will be walking together and walking in the spirit and building one another up. 
He says, well, if one of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, in other words, the one who is walking the spirit, should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Now, he actually draws from one of the fruits of the spirit that he's just mentioned, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So he's saying, if you're walking in the spirit, you're going to be displaying this, this fruits of the spirit, and that should inform how you actually correct each other. So correction needs to take place. That's part of it. As well as speaking positively into each other's lives, we need to kind of call one another out and help one another. But it's to be done in a spirit of gentleness. So that whole of Galatians 6 mm. then unpacks, you know, the, the sort of flip side. It's all about how to deal with sin corporately together, mm. um, which is not how we think, I don't think. Okay, Bruce. So help us understand this from a, a practical point of view. Um, the body in the church, how does this Galatians 5 and 6 apply to us as a people group? I had a wonderful experience a few years ago where I was on a, a retreat and I was actually interviewing a guy who was responsible for, for a large Christian ministry. And so he was a good guy. I mean, he was doing well and, and it was a great conversation. And so I said to him, you know, how can I help you out? What's, what's a conversation we can have here that could be helpful for you? And he said, well, look, you know, I really struggle with, with my eating. I actually find that I'm, I'm, I don't have control over my eating, and it's a real problem. My health's been deteriorating. And he said, as a passing comment, he said, uh, you know, I, I have no issue with sexual temptation. Um, in fact, I've, I've never looked at pornography. And then he went on, and, and I, I just said, whoa, 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 stop right there. You know, you can't go on and make a statement like that and, and then not, uh, you know, kind of unpack that for me. And so I said to him, you know, tell me what you mean by that. And he, and he proceeded to tell this incredibly penetrating and crystal clear picture of the nature of sexual sin and 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 how he realized how destructive it could be and how he avoided it and the Lord gave him strength and help. And I left that conversation thinking to myself, I don't know whether I helped him in one little bit when it came to his eating, but him speaking that truth into my life um, just was really helpful for me. Now, I think uh, this is one thing I would like to say, that so often when we get together as Christians, all we ever talk about is we talk about the problems that we have. And there's not space for us to actually walk in the Spirit. In other words, talk about where the Spirit of God has actually brought deliverance into our lives. Mm. Uh, each one of us has the Spirit of God. We have different sin issues, obviously, and different sin struggles, but the Lord is working on each of us. How different it looks when you come together as a people and you're talking and you're willing to kind of talk about the good things that the Lord has done in your life. Mm. So I think, uh, you know, obviously this is a huge question. How practically, and we could even talk about some of the actual dynamics, but I think that's one step closer towards the practical, that we need to start actually talking more transparently to each other about the Lord and about what he's doing in our lives in a good way. I mean, Paul says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your heart, mm. which sounds, you know, very airy-fairy and vague. But, I mean, if anything, it's real, it's living, and it's vibrant. I mean, if you're making music in your heart, the real you is kind of coming out. You're singing from your heart. And that's the commandment on how we're actually, that's what Paul says about how we're actually meant to be relating to each other. Um, and so the picture you have is, a, is actually a very positive picture about what the Lord's doing in my life. Uh, perhaps if we were more 
open and transparent as believers and let the Spirit's reality practically in our lives come out, then we might see osmotically um, this, you know, truth seeping into us and, and creating that transformation that I think Paul talks about. Yes, I'm right there with you. But I think what we tend to hear is consequences of sin, which, as you said, you teach your children when you sin, bad things happen. Uh, but sometimes that's the only message that people get. Mm-hmm. And so they develop this strange view of God that he's this – he's only and exclusively a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. And he just he's just waiting for people to slip and make a mistake. And then add in the fact that you may have a biblical community who's not sharing how the Lord has blessed them or given them victory over a particular thing. And you can easily get into an isolationist fear, you know, a wrong fear of God in, in that perspective. What can I say? But preach it, brother. <laughs> I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's that's where you know it, everything kind of begins to break down, doesn't it? We we're, we're isolated from each other. Sin does that, doesn't it? We feel ashamed of what we've done. We want to kind of withdraw from each other. We kind of then listen to the lies of the devil that says, you know, you can't possibly open up and talk to people about who you are because they would reject you. They couldn't possibly accept you. This is a community that's pure and everybody um, is doing the right thing. And so it's like we don't yet experience it, but we can experience it already. And I think that. Kind kind of very hopeful perspective uh, is, is something that we've just got to grab hold of. And I hope that listeners can can begin to become excited about this, the prospect of, hey, if I go and, and have a real genuine conversation about the Lord with another believer, not just talking about my sins, um, though, again, there's a place for that, but also talking about the ways that the Lord has helped me, that I think that, that that's a picture of the positive transformation that we see in the body. So if we talked about what sin is, that relational discord that happens when we sin and the importance of not fighting those battles alone. But what do you do when you're face to face with the same temptation and you feel like you are not experiencing any victory? Dr. Lowe shared a powerful and personal testimony about this that really stuck with me. I think I would want to go back to uh, Romans chapter 6 here. You know, reckon yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, he's, the very next verse I always tell my students is like, uh, if you didn't know that it was in the Bible, you might kind of push back from it even being true in any way. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So it's kind of like it's, there's this strong statement of strength, of, of conquest. And actually, the language in that whole passage, by the way, is kind of really interesting. It's not Normally translated, do not use the members of your body uh, as instruments for sin. But it actually says, do not use the members of your body as weapons for sin. So it's, it's you get this picture of kind of, which we all know when it comes to sin, almost like this self-inflicting. You know, it's like we're stabbing ourselves in the leg or something. We're we're injuring ourselves when it comes to sin. So there's this strong statement in Romans six about sense of identity again about reckoning ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. So look, I think that I would say that that one thing that very practically we need to be in prayer and we need to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. And the second thing is we need to have a right sense of reality of who we are. I think that transformation of our sense of reality will help. 
Yeah, Jonathan, let me tell you the story actually about my 23-year-old son who has a genetic illness which results in a mental disability. Uh, we knew very early on in his life that he would be struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder, which is part of the, the illness itself. And as it turned out, we sent him off to school. He was bullied. And he would come to school in the morning and would hate it. He wouldn't want to be there at school. He, he just struggled with learning a lot. And it was a pretty big routine that he would kind of start to lose the plot, start, a, start to get you know agitated and not want to do it. And I just said to him, look, I just took the scriptures seriously. And I said, Jim, you need to go away and ask for the Holy Spirit's help. If you don't have the Holy Spirit's help here, then you're not going to be able to overcome this. And so he would go away. I kid you not. 70% of the time, he would come back a different person. And I think what, every time I tell that story to students and to others, um, I think what it makes me realize is that we are too competent in ourselves. We're too secure in our own ability to deal with sin. We think that sin is, you know, just, a, and it go, kind of goes back to what you were saying right at the beginning. We, we kind of think of sin as this, you know, thing that we're a little bit messed up. But no, no, we, we have a deep-seated problem here going on. And that we need the Holy Spirit's transformational power in the body, as we talked about, but also individually in our, in our lives. And so I've, I've seen it time and time again. Um, he had a problem with hand-sucking at a period of his life where we tried everything. We tried strategies to help him. And then one day I said to him, and it sort of dawned on me, what are you doing? You know, why, why haven't I been saying this to him? I said, Jim, you can't overcome this, can you? And he said, no, I can't. And I said, you need to go and ask for the Holy Spirit's well, as of the next day, he has never sucked his hands again. And I say this by way of saying again, you know, that I feel like we need to come to a realization both of the depth of sin and its powerful grip that it can have on us, but also the greatness of the power of God through the Spirit of God living within us to transform us. Mm. So I would want to say that I think my son's testimony as a believer, as someone who loves Jesus with all his heart, but someone who is forced to trust in the Holy Spirit in ways that many of us apparently aren't, um, I would just want to throw that out to listeners, you know, to, to consider how much are we relying upon the Lord. And again, I think circling back around, us spending time hearing stories from other believers about transformation, even this story, uh, and, the, and the Spirit's strength will also put us in the framework where we're thinking more about the Lord and we're thinking more about our sense of identity of who we really are as His children. What happens when we see uh, sin in our lives? Well, we need to deal with it quickly. We need to come back to the Lord and be reconciled with him quickly. And the word repentance means turning literally from something. And it's really a turning, not just a turning from which, again, can be just seen as relationally void. So it's like I'm, I'm turning from a thing, uh, but turning to our Heavenly Father who has and, and and turning to Jesus who who loved us and gave himself up for us. So obviously there is a there's a period of remorse and and again, you know, sometimes remorse can be more or less and, and that's a big topic right there, isn't it? You know, sometimes we can we can get into the feeling of I'm not feeling remorseful enough and unless I'm feeling remorseful. Repentance is not about remorse actually. Repentance is about turning. The longer I have walked with Christ the more I am aware of my own sin 
and the weight of my own sin. When I was younger, I tended to think about just the big sins, and I repented of those. But as I've grown older, I have started to realize just how deep and far and wide that chasm is between me and the holiness and the perfection of God the Father. However, this awareness helps me to better understand just how wide and high and far and deep is the love of God for me because he spanned that gap with the sacrifice of his only son. When I think about it, I am so overwhelmed with love and gratitude for his provision for my sin. Dr. Lowe shares more. As that element of, of the appreciation for what he's done in my life and becomes richer, you can see what the Lord is doing in a sense, bringing the reality, as shining the spotlight, because it's like we can handle now seeing some more of the depths of our sin and dealing with them because we have been bolstered by the reality of who he is and what we understand about ourselves. So that would be the qualification. Now, I guess for me, it's, it's thoroughly biblical because Jesus says, you know, those who are fruitful... I prune so that they might be even more fruitful. And there's a sense in which you, if you, you've only got to look at, you know, we did some pruning of our um, crepe myrtles just recently, and we hacked them back pretty seriously. And, you know, if you know what pruning looks like, then pruning, if the tree can feel, then the tree would be in pain. In fact, our six-year-old son said as much. He's like, oh, the poor tree, it must be hurting, you know. So there's a reality in which we, we uh, that can be hurtful, you know, that can be painful as, as those things are pruned back. But the purpose, again, is that we might be more fruitful. So I, I kind of, in, I guess my answer is starting back one step and then circling around forward here, mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the Lord's desire for us is that we might be like Christ and that we together with each other might be his body and that our relationship with the Lord and our relationship together in the Lord might be full and rich and all that it can be. You know, I've come to give you life and life in the fullness. So that the realization of who I am and what the Lord's done will be coupled with a deeper realization of my sin. Uh, We never graduate from Christianity. The Lord's always pruning us. Mm -hmm. But as he does that, the cycle is exactly the same. It's not about suddenly realizing, surprising ourselves, realizing how bad we were. But that, again, drawing us back to the Lord, that drawing us into community with other believers, that circling around to see the victory over sin in our life again and increasing our relationship with him. Dr. Bruce Lowe, a massive topic, sin, um, but I think some really excellent, wonderful insights and, and just helping us to, to consider uh, its weight, to consider um, the freedom that we have, the identity that we have, and, and the body that we've been given in terms of the body of believers, the church. Thank you so much for coming on to Candid. My pleasure. Thanks, Jonathan. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure you never miss an episode. It's delivered to you as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit ltw.org candid to connect with these pages and share your questions with me. As always, thank you for listening and sharing this episode.